Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. Today, we have a special opportunity to analyze, to scrutinize, and to even do a little bit of careful analysis of the biggest question you can ask in evolution, creation, intelligent design. And that is, do we have scientific evidence that makes it very clear, very unmistakable, just as plain as the sun shining in its uh, full noontime strength above us? Is there evidence for a designer in nature, specifically in the molecular machines that are connected to what Michael Behe has called irreducible complexity? Well, today I have actually uh, had an opportunity to interview Dr. Behe in his office. I grabbed five minutes of his time. And uh, Nick Shauna, that was pretty exciting as you were sitting here overhearing my conversation. The the top most, you might even say the most controversial scientist in the United States today in this topic, in this area of intelligent design and evolution and Darwinism, has given us his lowdown. And the book is coming out soon, right? Yes, can't wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing event. February, <clears throat> excuse me, February the 26th of this month. That's February 26, 2019, just uh, literally days from now. And I've already ordered my first uh, case. They are due here in the office, I think, say somewhere around the 25th, 26th. And we are really excited. I've had a chance to read a pre-publication copy of the new book. And the title is, if you're making a kind of a note of this, if you're sitting there with your uh, cell phone or a radio or whatever source you use for your podcast or your radio broadcast of The Universe Next Door, the name of the book is Darwin Devolves. That's uh, put a D, D is in David, on the front of Evolves. Because Darwin is devolving in the view of the evidence that we now have from DNA. And uh, so that's really the subtitle of the book. It's all about how this new science of DNA is undercutting the claims of Darwinian evolution. Darwin devolves, delivering a huge, massive punch, as it were, to the credibility of the neo-Darwinian paradigm. And so Dr. Behe has met with us today. I asked him if I could huddle with him for just a few minutes, and he took time out from his busy schedule there as a tenured biochemist teaching at the very prestigious school in eastern Pennsylvania, specifically Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and that is Lehigh University, where his lab, his DNA lab, is located in the Lee Iacocca building, the guy who kind of relaunched Chrysler Corporation and got it up and running. So today we want to take about the, the next 20 minutes or so, and then I'm going to make an application from all of this uh, to kind of bring in the relevance to our worldview thinking. And that is always one of the most important focal points of our discussions here at the Universe Next Door, is how does this information, you know, the topic, the uh, book, the article, whatever we're looking at, the debate, how does this 
press in upon everyday life. How does the question of who I am, where I come from, where I am going when I die, if there is any future life after death, how does that relate to the specific topic we're covering? Well, I think it does, in a massive way, relate to the new book, Darwin Devolves. Let me give you a bit of the the sizzle on the steak. Uh, It's a phrase we have used here some from time to time. Have you ever had a steak brought to your table and it's still sizzling? Fortunately, yes. That's great. That's the best kind of steak. And sometimes they they put it on one of those metal platters, and you can just hear it it's still sizzling in front of you, finishing up its cooking process. Well, the sizzle on the steak of Dr. Behe's new book, Darwin Devolves, is just this, that it was attacked already. This is uh, really, it was published February 8th, two weeks, almost literally two and a half weeks before it saw the light of day. The book was already the target of a preemptive strike by the number one prestigious journal in the U.S. called Science. That's an interesting name for a, a journal on science. Very creative. Very, yeah, very creative. And the the article, they, they were told that they only had a thousand words to administer this death blow to a baby that wasn't even in the bassinet yet. And this uh, article that was published, uh, again, February 8th online uh, by three professors of biology. One has the name Lenski. Uh, Some of you may have heard of the uh, uh, very extensive, has gone for nearly 30 years, but the biology experiment up at Michigan State run by Richard Lenski, L-E-N-S-K-I, has gone for 60,000 generations. And his long-term evolution experiment uses bacteria. Now, that's interesting, Nick. How would you like to be studying bacteria and nothing bacteria for 30-plus years? (laughs) He must know a lot about bacteria. Yes, he has learned a lot, especially by allowing them to evolve not just one or two or 10 or 30 generations, but through 60,000 generations. They have monitored the change in the DNA the individual genes, even the non-coding DNA that we have found so very important. And so Richard Linsky's really important and almost embarrassing, I'll go ahead and just say not, I'll get rid of the word almost, really embarrassing evolutionary experiment is that the bacteria are evolving nothing new. I mean, some of them are evolving the ability to reproduce more quickly but they're dropping out DNA to do that. And they are breaking things. They are blunting, breaking, and degrading DNA here and there to give them a minor leg up advantage. Kind of a, you might say, a little edge in the race against other bacteria. Now, the moment I say that the bacteria are breaking or blunting You know, when you blunt a knife, it doesn't make it cut better. It makes it cut more slowly through a slab of meat or cheese or whatever it is. And so you usually don't think of blunting or breaking a gene as a good thing. But that's the whole point of Michael Behe's new book. And that is when we really get down into the details, into the nitty-gritty, and when we get up close and personal almost... With this DNA evidence, we find that exactly this and only this process of damaging, 
breaking, or as he puts it again, blunting a gene, only that is seen going on in the nitty-gritty of the genome, whether it be a bacteria or even a polar bear. Let's jump up to the first example he uses right at the beginning of his book. His new book, Darwin Devolves, a blockbuster. I will go ahead and predict that this book will sit at the top of the list of the most important critiques of Darwinian evolution ever published in the history of science. Okay, there I got it out. Now, check me out a year from now if it's caused something of an uproar. It's almost like watching Mount St. Helens in a slow motion, you know, explosion the, the day that it blew off, you know, one third of the of one side of that mountain. It's just incredible what Michael Behe, this biologist at Lehigh University, has managed to pull together between two covers of, you know, some 300 plus pages. A masterpiece of a book. Every single page I was whispering a wow by things I was learning. But back to the theme of the blunting or breaking of DNA is really limiting the variation of what evolution can do. In other words, it can make a new species, maybe even a new genus that's a group of related species that have a lot of traits that define them. And they're all among a group of species. They're all, you know, let's say, have long blue scales. They all have this position of their fins, if it was a fish, they all, you know, eat the same thing. They're all doing this. They're all look like that. And so if you group species together into a genus, that's the next level. And then the third level is family. Behe has now lowered the line between what evolution really can do and what evolution cannot do. He's lowered it down all the way to the level of family. Isn't that amazing? And so if you try to go beyond family, you're at order. And if you go beyond order, you're at the level of class. Like all mammals are one class. All fishes are another class, etc. And all birds are in the class of the ornithological species. And so what Michael Behe has managed to do in his new book, he has actually included some of his own research. He's reported on the responses to those research pieces that he's done, some of them with physicist David Snoke of the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, they actually, you know, bring out not only their own work, but they bring out in detail the responses to it. That's what I think is really most intriguing. And so when Michael Behe uh, saw this preemptive strike against his book come out, he had a response. And the first word of the response of Behe to this attack on his book, two weeks before it was published, is interesting. It's the word, it's a hyphenated word. Are you ready for this? Woohoo! Oh, I saw that. Did you see that? I saw that. Right up there. You see it? Woohoo! He talks about how he, yeah, he never addressed the main argument. That's right. Now, why is, why is Behe begin with the word woohoo? I mean, that's kind of like, you know, like a yay moment in our family. Do you ever text that to people? Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like the, uh, of, of our current era. It's the, uh, it's the equivalent in, in letters of a smiley face yeah, and a thumbs like up. An exciting relief. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. Why did he respond woohoo to an attack? Well, I'll go ahead and read what he has here. It's just too good not to read and just let you all share on this amazing moment. Quite remarkable. Science, this is Michael Behe's comment published in evolutionnews.org. Okay, it came out, actually it came out February, February 7th. 
So this is just, um, you know, within the last uh, week, just a little over a week from uh, this broadcast. Okay, Science has just published a review of Darwin Devolves more than two weeks before the book's official release date. He puts in parentheses, I suppose they wanted to be the first on the block to take a shot at it. And then he says, this is Michael Behe's response to the attack, let me first say this, woohoo, double exclamation mark. I'm simply ecstatic about the review, not because it's favorable, it surely isn't, but because it is so embarrassingly, cringe-inducingly weak. That cringe-inducingly, that's a pretty yeah. vivid. It is so embarrassingly, cringe-inducingly weak. It is the equivalent of a reviewer being rendered speechless, but soldiering on because he's been assigned to write 700 words. Gotta say something, and it's co-authored by no less than Richard Lemsky, Lensky, a member of the National Academy of Sciences, and world-renowned investigator behind the 60,000-generation long-term evolution experiment. And then I'll, I'll just stop and say that Michael B. He has brought out a central key to why this attack misses the mark completely. It does not blunt the effect. Evolution may blunt a gene, but this attack does not blunt the force of his book. Why is that? B. He says... In a few days, I will offer a detailed rebuttal. And by the way, that rebuttal is just, just as of the last few hours available. But anyway, in a few days, I will offer a detailed rebuttal. But the overwhelmingly important point to notice right up front is that the reviewers, and he names the three scientists, have absolutely no response to the very central argument of the book. The argument that I summarized on the first page of the book so that no one could miss it, okay? Now, what is this article that he's referring to, his earlier article, saying? And, this, and, the, and the, the essence of this article is called The First Rule of Adaptive Evolution. And here it is. Break or blunt any gene whose loss would increase the number of offspring. Let me repeat that again. Break or blunt any gene whose loss would increase the number of offspring. So if Darwinian theory is seeking for larger and, you know, more, let's say, vigorous numbers of offspring, sometimes you can actually break a gene. It seems counterintuitive, but it yeah. sometimes happens. Yeah. Okay. So what Behe has managed to do is he has actually gone into the literature throughout his book, and he's gone here and there and up and down and far and wide, and he's gathered example after example after example species after species after species where this is actually happening right under their noses. The scientists are catching this in action and they're seeing that Darwinian evolution only works by breaking things and never seems to be working by creating something new. Not even a what's called disulfide bond between two genes. You say, what's that? Well, there's a special kind of amino acid that can produce a relationship with sulfur, a hydrogen sulfide. And then on the other side, it has another, it's called cysteine. I know you were dying to know that, Nick. Okay, that's the amino acid. It just loves sulfur. Maybe it grew up on eggs. I don't know. Okay. But anyway, but the cysteine amino acid over here and the cysteine amino acid in an adjacent part 
they somehow can bud out this zone of of uh, hydrogen sulfide molecules, which then join between those two amino acids this disulfide linkage. And you can actually calculate the probability of this very simple, it's excruciatingly tiny and simple a link as you can get. Well, you know how, how hard it is for evolution to create a disulfide link? Incredibly hard. And even the literature is admitting that. If they can't come up to the level of like a hook and eye, you know, like if you have a little, um, maybe a uh, outside, you know, garbage shed or someplace where you put your, you know, your equipment where you're going to rake and, you know, clean your yard and maybe put the fertilizer in a little outside shed. And sometimes they have a little eye and a hook. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you just kind of slide the hook down over the eye. That's a very simple machine. Darwinian evolution can't even do a hook and an eye. If it can't do that, how can it do a full mousetrap or digital board of a, of a, of a phone? We're, we're developing analogies here of biological equipment, of course. But what we're seeing here is this feebleness, this utter weakness of the Darwinian mechanism in producing anything substantially new. And so Behe basically says here, the rules summarize that first rule of adaptive evolution. Break or blunt any gene whose loss would increase the number of offspring. The rule summarizes the fact that the overwhelming tendency of random mutation is to degrade genes, and that, very often, is helpful. Thus, natural selection itself acts as a powerful devolutionary key uh, part of that is the opening with the de devolutionary force increasing helpful broken and degraded genes in the population and on this main point you know what the response of this article in science was what's that thundering silence oh. they didn't even address it it's like oh well we don't really want to go there and I'm sure his peers, Lumsey's peers, thought this was a great review. Yes, if they didn't know any better, because it had nitpick after nitpick. Yeah. And that's where I asked Dr. Behe this morning in our interview, uh, right there in his office. So I said, you know, um, this this critique that you've brought out in your two earlier books, the earlier books is Darwin's Black Box. I believe you've read that mm-hmm. for a class that I taught here at Trinity College. And then the follow-up book that came out in 2007, was The Edge of Evolution. Brilliant, incredible books. Uh, The two most powerful books, I would say, critiquing macroevolution that have ever been produced. And so he described uh, as complete silence, that's the phrase that he used, uh, as, as he brings out these truths about the inability of macroevolution to do anything except break genes it's really not macro, it's micro, it's trivial. Nothing is really being developed that's new. No new structures, no wings or brains, no kidneys, no claws, you know, no um, um, outside structures or internal organs are being developed. And so the examples that are given in this reply in Science Magazine are all question-begging. Michael Behe, I said, well, how many of them are new? He said, none of them, not a single one. So what do they provide? 
he just sees there, Michael B. he is seeing uh, in this attack on him, sweeping, uh, waving of their hands, uh, you know, attempts that are recycling old examples that he's already replied to in his published responses. So hold on to your hats. We're seeing something magnificent in our day. The actual emergence of a major new critique on Darwinian macroevolutionary theory. Uh, and it's funny, when I, when I saw the review in Science Magazine, you know what they put up at the top as the, as the title? End of evolution? Question mark. Well, what's wrong with that question? What's wrong with it is because they don't define evolution. See, if we don't define our terms and then use whatever we're, we're doing consistently, we're going to actually be speaking in two different levels on two different wavelengths and not even communicating. Michael Behe never deals with something vague called evolution. He's talking with Darwinian theory, the ability of mutations that break individual points in a gene and render them either blunted or, or absolutely broken. And like he said, he summarized, <clears throat> he summarized his argument on the first page of the book. He did. So that's pretty clear. Very, very clear. And, and if, if his book is uh, even given half of a hearing, I think what we're going to see is a potential revolution in biology. He came up with, in his book, new concepts. One of them is called uh, comprehensive complexity. So you have irreducible complexity, but then you have comprehensive irreducible complexity, CIC, it's called. He also has something in his book he's called mini M-I-N-I, like small-scale irreducible complexity. Uh, so if you're familiar with Michael Behe's original book, Darwin's Black Box, and of course I would refer everyone, if you want to hear his story, his whole life story, summarized in about 58 minutes, brilliantly done video, just uh, go on to any internet source, any entry point, and type in revolutionary, and the word Behe, or the name Behe, and that's of course of course, B-E-H-E, Michael Behe, is the correct pronunciation of his name. Well, we hope to have Dr. Behe on our program after the book actually is released, and I would trust that anybody who listens regularly to the Universe Next Door program would take note of this as a major turning point in the scientific evidence for design. And since we have just a little bit over a minute and a half left, let me just make a, a transition, if I could. Michael Behe's work is vindicating what we already see in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 20, which is an echo of what we find, of course, throughout the Bible, and really especially in the Old Testament passage, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament makes known his prowess, his engineering genius. You see that summarized very quickly by Paul in Romans 1, 18 through 20, where it's the things that he has made that give testimony that there is a great creator God who made us for a purpose. We see this, for example, in Colossians, where Paul says, in him, meaning in his very being, are the architectural plans for the universe. All things were made in him, and through his action, he's not only the architect, he's the general contractor. And then they were made for him. He's the owner of creation for his pleasure. And for our pleasure, they were created. And so one of the great things, one of the great existential truths that impacts our life today is that we have a purpose. 
Now, we're broken. We've fallen away from holding on to that purpose, but God didn't leave us alone. He sent the Creator Himself, Christ, Christos, the Kurios, the term which means master and creator of all reality. So the Christos, the Kurios, the Lord, the Christ, entered creation and donned, as it were, forever and ever and ever, permanently put on human nature to get close to us. And then he became one of us, but except not in his sin, he lived a perfect life, 35 or 38 years, however you time it. Not a single day, not a single nanosecond was deviating from the sweet will of his father. But then he put that down on the cross, paid for our sins, and rose again. And he was seen by incredible number of eyewitnesses, all recorded there in the pages of the New Testament, especially summarized in 1 Corinthians 15. He died for our sins and rose again. And we can experience life. And Michael Behe has opened up, as it were, a new door to consider the awesomeness, the greatness of creation and the life that the Creator brings. Keep keep, uh, tuned in to the developments behind Darwin Devolves here on The Universe Next Door. Thanks for listening. See you back next week.